In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. St. James talks about taming the tongue. He says, The tongue is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. James 3.6. He goes on to say in verse 9, No man can tame the tongue. With the tongue we praise the Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Ooh, James must have been angry with the way some of his students were talking when they weren't praying. This is so true. How many times have we met people who talk differently, depending on who they're with? Let's always talk as if we were talking to the Lord. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. And I have a great show for you today. We're going to be talking about making friends outside the homeschool, civility not only in the public forum but in the home, how a normal homeschooler like you and me was invited to lead a homeschooling workshop in Ecuador Ecuador, sorry, for the Shuar Indians, and of course the latest news from the McNenny Homestead. Grab your tea and come and sit down. This is my one-year anniversary. Can you believe it? This time last year, I was nervous and it took me months to relax into my show, especially when I was interviewing guests. But I discovered they're usually really nice people who want to talk to me. And anyway, I have allies in my producers at Togginet and the words hang up typed into my chat line just in case I get an obnoxious or out of hand interviewee. This hasn't happened yet. I was also nonplussed by the idea of talking to myself. Don't know about you, but I don't go around the house nattering to me, at least not out loud. I thought about putting up a gallery of photographs of my friends and family where I could see them and pretend to be talking to them. Then I thought I could have puppets on the other side of my desk to shake their heads, bounce about and react. I even tried a mirror, but my wrinkles distracted me too much. Then the cat, since dead, would join me, but she always fell asleep. She was no fun. But eventually I just got used to chattering away to myself with no interruptions. A true monologuist. Rare opportunity in anyone's life. Well, I hope you had a good week. Mine was very busy, always is with one less day in it, you know, when there's a holiday at the beginning of the week. I seem to be non-stop go from when I left you last Friday to today. San Francisco is an amazing city full of suburbs and little cities and houses with curved frontages, brightly painted and adorned with stained glass or Wedgwood-like relief. Hills and the bay, streetcars and buses and hills, and hills, and the bay, and of course the bridge, the Golden Gate Bridge, sailing boats, barges, sea lions, and Alcatraz. But I never want to travel at night. Again, it leaves me out of bed for way too long. 
On Friday night, I had to pretend I was fine and I was used to staying up like everyone else in San Francisco, it seems, until gone 11 o'clock. Waiting at the airport this end was okay. We'd already eaten, which was a good job because the restaurants and shops started closing as soon as we got there. We carried everything on the plane, and I was amazed at how much liquid stuff I usually have with me, but I managed to get it all into the one quart bag provided at the gate. Then we could take no razors or scissors or knives, so those had to be tossed. Not that anyone even looked in my bag. I suppose the x-ray machine would alert the Homeland Security personnel of anything that resembled a weapon. I had to take off my belt, my shoes, my jacket, my scarf. At least in England, they do the removal of items at different checkpoints, so you don't feel quite like a striptease artist. Here it's, oh, ma'am, would you mind taking that off too? Each time I tried to walk through the security tunnel. Then I had to remember to collect everything on the other side and in my fluster to redress, I forgot my carry-on suitcase, which I never take, so it was begging to be forgotten. Malia saw a couple of girls wearing those earful ear flap, sorry, earful, yeah, they were earful. They were awful ear flap woolly caps. Sorry if anyone out there has one, but they are all the rage this year. And I could see that look in her eye, the never-ending shopper. Oh, well, now it's time for my book excerpt. And this week I'm continuing from the chapter entitled Quality, Not Quantity, where I'm still looking for friends in all the right places. Maybe not. My next experience in the friendship-seeking crusade involved a homeschooling mother whom I had found at Texas Boys Choir where my boys sang. She and her family lived in a very small house a few miles to the east of us. On first sight of the house, we could tell that upkeep and maintenance were not on the top of the priority list in this family. There were two children about Ian and Simon's age and then the second generational baby. Upon closer inspection and true to form, mum was pregnant with the playmate for this baby. The younger of the two older children was a girl, so my daughter Paris locked out there for a little while. The oldest child was a boy, Texas Boys Choir, remember, whom Ian had nothing but his soprano voice in common with. When we conversed, I found mum to be naturally preoccupied with the feelings and changings of her baby, topics of interest that I had outgrown what seemed like a lifetime ago. When Ian's soprano voice eventually broke, we lost track of them, babies and all. I wasn't getting very far with this friendship lark. Then I remembered those huge families that had a child for every age. One in particular sprang to mind. These parents added a child a year until at last count they were at 11. Dad must have a really lucrative job. In order to go anywhere together, they had to drive one of those 12-seater vans. I'm sure they prayed that children would start leaving home soon. So at least they, or at least go out and get jobs and buy their own cars in order to free up seating space in the family Greyhound bus. This mega family lived in a three-bedroomed house with their 11 children. I can only imagine the setup because we were never invited to visit. No room at the inn and all that. One of my imaginings was the logistics of getting to Mass on Sunday morning. Congestion in the hallway while waiting to brush teeth. Lack of counter space in the kitchen while pouring bowls of cereal or making toast urgency experience while waiting to use the bathroom. Perhaps like my old-fashioned brother in England, they may be fortunate enough to have a handy 
outdoor bathroom to accommodate moments of desperation. Just writing about this proliferation gives me reason to praise my creator. After seven years and an extension or two, we can all lay claim to our own bedrooms, except as my youngest correctly pointed out for my husband and me. In order to teach my children how to count their blessings, I took a deep breath and persevered in my search for buddies among the mega families of the homeschooling community. They would have to come to our house to play, of course, a bonus point in their favour, I thought. Faced with a quest that had reached top priority status, one fine sunny day in late May, I took the four children and myself to visit a burgeoning family with a large house. On arrival, I was immediately made aware of one of their rules. No contact with the outside world during school hours. Father, safely out of work, and mother, had a point here since there were so many of them under the age of 12. They were not allowed to go outside during school hours, despite the fact that their garden was large, enclosed, and had a drawback, a pool, without a fence. Children needed to be supervised by an adult if they wanted fresh air and a dip. They were also forbidden to answer the door or the telephone. Fine, but mother was interrupted umpteen times, and an answering machine would have been a blessing. So would the muting or total disconnection of the doorbell. I looked around for the telltale basement door. When I arrived, before my brood even set foot inside the door, I could see the children bouncing off the walls. Mum was too busy with the latest infant and youngest pair of toddlers to pay much attention to anyone, including her visitors. I'm sure this is where the myth of keeping homeschool children locked up comes from. After five minutes in the house... I would have happily bundled them all down the basement stairs and thrown away the key. Television was taboo and would have been a godsend. And listen to me, I am not a TV fan. See what unruly children can do to us? There was one in the den, for Dad probably, surrounded by black and white G-rated videos. I'd scoped these out in case of an emergency later. As mere acquaintances at this stage in our relationship, we had to be careful with our conversation. We couldn't risk upsetting anyone by lamenting the fact that we could only admire the pretty pool or wax lyrical about the park opposite with its shady walks or wish we could watch a film quietly. I dared not brag about my husband who declared a school holiday whenever he needed a break and took us all on vacations or day trips during the school year. I doubted whether my suggestion for using Big Bird or Thomas the Tank Engine episodes as popular distractions would have gone down very well, although I did sow the seed by singing the theme tune to Sesame Street, accompanied by my distraught new friend's older children, who somehow knew the tune and the words. She gave me a look of utter hopelessness and offered us homemade banana nut bread. Her children swarmed the kitchen table and wolfed down the lot, leaving none for us. After an interminable hour of chaos, we were given some of their home-ground wheat flour at the door. For you to use when you make your next loaf of bread, she whispered as we were leaving. I shook my head. I don't make my own bread, I confided guiltily, gripping the bag of hand-milled flour. You don't make your own bread? How liberating, she sighed. I suspected another reluctant homeschooler. Had nothing in common with the poor woman except the newly acquired flour. My children and I left and I made an executive decision that my tongue would probably be easier to guard if I forfeited any chances of finding friends for each one of my children amongst the radically fundamental. I admire anyone who can homeschool that age range on any level. I suspect that they did not meet the perfection I was striving for academically, 
too much wheat to grind and no axe. Then suddenly, when I was convinced I had diligently exhausted all avenues for increasing our piles of birthday gifts, thus giving myself permission to sit back and legitimately enjoy the insular world my parents had fashioned for me to emulate, I discovered that we turned a corner. If I really thought about all the people we knew and could depend upon or include in celebrations and activities, I realised that we did have a group of friends of sorts, a motley group maybe, but friends all the same. We'd attended picnics and outings given by different organisations, homeschool, church, boys' choir, gymnastics, theatre over the years, and had met a lot of people, probably one at a time. Our children had mixed with children of all ages and developed their own relationships both within the home and outside it. Now that I had consciously decided to seek out and include friends in our homeschool, I began to see changes in what was happening around our house. Two of the children's activities that had begun at home, with just the four of them, embraced their community of friends from different walks of life. And it's time for me to go on my break now, and I'll be back in about 90 seconds. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girassi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. Josephine Girassi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's Paying It Forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girassi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central, on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
My guest this week is Marsha Washburn, who homeschooled her five sons for 19 years. Marsha is a featured and keynote speaker for state and regional home education and parenting conferences, and she's written two books and also contributes to popular columns for Christian homeschooling magazines. Good afternoon, Marsha, and welcome to my show. Thank you so much, Vivian. Well, Marsha, I, I see the five boys and I think to myself, oh, my gosh, I had my, my first two were boys. So I had my fingers firmly crossed for a girl <laughs> the third time around. I did. I got two girls. And I know so many mums who have, you know, boy after boy after boy. So your house must have been full of joy, as you say. <laughs> the joys of raising boys. Yes, yes. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yes, they're, they were a delight to as as young boys most of the time and they are a delight now as young men as well well good good did you homeschool um all the time or do you have a homeschool story when you sort of saw the light and decided i'm going to homeschool my kids you know we started out uh kind of coming in through the back door so many people now homeschool because of academic reasons or because of um uh, you know, they want to pass on their Christian values to their children or whatever. But at the time we began homeschooling, way back in the covered wagon days, 1983, mm-hmm. um, I'd never even heard of homeschooling. And uh, our oldest was a five-year-old, about time for kindergarten. And so we were looking into options. And some close friends, in fact, they were actually godparents to one of our children, had said, well, have you considered homeschooling? And I said, what's that? Mm-hmm. And she said, well, that's what we're doing with our children. Now, you've got to remember, we're pretty close to these people. We go to the same church. They had kept it so quiet, we had no idea that really? they were homeschooling. Mm-hmm. But it was a symptom of the times. People just kind of kept a very low profile at that time. So we considered it, decided to give it a try because our oldest had had serious problems with asthma, and every time he got around a bunch of other kids, he would get a cold and it would go into his lungs, and and we would go to the emergency room. Mm -hmm. And so after a few months of this, maybe just a few weeks, we thought, this is wonderful. We're so glad we stumbled into this. And then we began homeschooling for the same reasons that everyone else does. And so we ended up homeschooling the boys for 19 years. Wow. Wow, that's a long time. So we came in at that time when it was difficult to get curriculum. Um, the Christian publishers were uneasy about selling to homeschoolers because they didn't want to, uh, in some way, offend their Christian school uh, mm-hmm. clients. And uh, there hadn't been much written. And so when I go through a curriculum hall at conferences nowadays, I see the results of desperate homeschool moms who went out and wrote curriculum that yet today is still being sold. And um, it's, there are so many options that were not available back in the day when we started. And so you're in Colorado, is that right? Yes, we're in, in the flat side of Colorado where the altitude is only 4,200 feet, okay. <laughs> <laughs> which I believe is higher than the tallest mountain in New England, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. But we're not on the skiing side of Colorado. Okay, so um, have you? Did you live there? You know, the whole nineteen years that you were homeschooling. 
Yes, we did. I'm a native Coloradoan, as is my husband, and our boys were all born here. And um, we began homeschooling while we lived in town, then we moved to a small acreage out in the country as we began having more and more boys, and they needed more and more room to run and play and mm-hmm. make noise and do things the boys do. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, wonderful opportunity to be able to do that. Um, so what is, what is the climate in Colorado, not, not weather-wise, but homeschooling-wise? When we first started, it was rather restrictive. Uh, parents had to get their uh, permission from the local school board to, or, or the superintendent at least, to homeschool. And then the state had only four different curricula options for us. And so you, you didn't have a lot of choices. A couple of years after we started, with the help of um, Homeschool Legal Defense Association, we were able to write a really good, solid law in Colorado. And now parents are free to select materials that actually work best for their their children, not something that's you know comes down from from the state board of education. So uh, it is a relatively easy state to homeschool in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's that's um, good to hear. Texas, of course, is a really easy state to homeschool in, but um, we always keep our eye out on you know because I take HSLDA and they always have these little alerts in there for other states, and I I pray and uh, you know, thank God we're in Texas and that we don't we're not harassed or even in Europe. I mean, there's some bad stuff going on in Europe at the moment too. Uh, yes, <laughs> I've been reading about that. You know, I think many homeschool parents of uh, that earlier generation first became politically active because of the homeschool movement, and they began to realize how much power the government really did have to make our lives uncomfortable or, or worse. And, yeah. and so many of the people who were serving in community and state and national positions now started out uh, as homeschoolers who, who began to realize the need to become active in the um, in political realm. Mm-hmm. Um, Marsha, the main thrust of our conversation this afternoon, and I, we need to get started onto it, is your um, experience in Ecuador with the um, Shuar Indians. Is that how you pronounce them? them? Shuar. Shuar Indians. Mm-hmm. And um, their, their, their differences and similarities as homeschooling parents or potential homeschooling parents to um, us, us here in the West. And um, so... Let's talk about that, and if we have any time, which I doubt we will, because it's the most interesting time of your life, I think, and I think my, my listeners will be really interested. We could talk a little bit about um, your conferences and your, your workshops that you do, but you ha- you, you do do a workshop on this um, Yes, that's correct. I I offer workshops in a lot of different areas of parenting and homeschooling and also music because I'm a musician. Mm -hmm. But um, this frontiers of homeschooling uh, is particularly one that people seem to enjoy because we often get so involved in what we're doing on a Mm day-to-day basis with our own children that we forget what it might be like for a parent who lives where the only running water there is is the local river, Mm -hmm. uh, where electric it may or may not be present um, where they may not own a table, and so you're homeschooling around a fire. I mean, it really takes you aback a bit to, to think about how, how would I homeschool in that scenario, and how would I present it to someone for whom homeschooling is a totally foreign idea. Okay, so let's start. What took you to Ecuador? Well, you were invited, so tell us a little bit about that. Um, my husband and a colleague had been to the uh, 
jungle community of Makuma, which is in the eastern part of Ecuador, in the Amazon basin. Um, previously, this this was back in 2006, and they were upgrading a small hydroelectric plant in the in the community. And when the local people found out that we had homeschooled our children, they said, "Please, next time you come, would you bring your wife? Our public schools here are very poor. At least they are out in the in the jungle. There are some dedicated teachers, but some of them are what I would call a paycheck teacher. Mm-hmm. And they said sometimes they don't even show up to teach the class, and you can't get them fired because their relatives are the superintendent. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what is worse, uh, they were trying to teach as many as 20 subjects at a time at the high school level, and mm-hmm. these are to students who may or may not be reading very well yet, and 20 would be an awful lot anyway. Mm-hmm. And then even worse for the Christian parents, this is a tribe that uh, of, of Indians who have a background in witchcraft, revenge killings, head huntings, and so forth. And in the name of heritage studies, they were uh, wanting to reintroduce witchcraft into the curriculum at the public schools. Oh. And the Christian parents were just fit to be tied, of course. And so that's why their church association uh, made the offer to me to come down and give an introduction to homeschooling seminar for them so that they could, you know, learn more about what their options were. Okay, so um, I'm thinking jungle and, um, you know, small villages. How many people um, are involved, were involved at that time in education? I mean, how many children, how big were the schools? Can you give us an idea of that? Well, the the public school for that area, of course, people come in from all around the area to get to it, but there's no required, uh, they don't have to go to school. If a child would rather go fishing or swimming that day, he may. So you don't have that compulsory education. Uh, I would guess, and this is this is just a guess on my part, that there were probably 150 or 200 children in that particular community's school, which would draw from surrounding areas people coming in on jungle trails. Obviously, we're not talking about a bus situation. There are no roads. There are no vehicles mm-hmm. because, there's no, you know, you have to hike in or fly in and land on a grass airstrip. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, yeah, I, that, that would be my best guess. And so you're talking about the high school students. So how, how long did they go to school or did they only go until they were like 14 or something? And then they began, the, the school is available to them starting at about age six and until they graduate, which can be up into the early 20s, but typically to 17 or 18. But not all children choose to go, and not all uh, parents choose to emphasize the value of education. Um, it, because of the isolation of the community, they are only just now beginning to get a feel for more of the outside world and the fact that their children might actually leave the community and have need to do more. I think the Christian parents were most concerned that their children were not uh, learning to read well enough to study the Bible. Mm -hmm. And because of that, um, the local missionaries had noticed that there just wasn't the kind of growth that you would expect from people who had been Christians for quite some time is because they couldn't dig out the the words for themselves and uh, part of it was not all of it had been translated to their language at that time but as of last august they dedicated their full bible old and new testaments wow. so that was very exciting happened Wonderful. the week before we we went there mm-hmm. 
So really, my well, we're we're getting close to um, our first break, and for uh-huh. those of you who are just joining us, I'm talking to Marsha Washburn, Washburn, who speaks on many homeschooling topics, including building tomorrow's generation, managing a business while managing your home, and the joys of raising boys. And stay with us to hear more about Marsha's home education workshop that she conducted in Ecuador for the Shwa Indians. We'll be back after this break. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. I am not the woman I used to be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet. This is your chance, ladies, to hear stories of hope and healing from someone who's been there. Someone who has fought back from the horrors of incest. Minister Diane's innocence was stolen from her in the land of alcoholism and mental illness, which led to her being emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by her parents. Yet in spite of this trauma, she has gone on to become a successful wife, mother, registered nurse, and minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm not the woman I used to be. I'm free is a straight-up show to enlighten you and to lighten your load. Do not let the weight of this world or the things that have happened to you control your life. For more on the show and Diane and her book, The Story of Me, email her directly from her show page here on Toginet. Then, join us for I'm Not the Woman I Used to Be. I'm free with Minister Diane Jones. Monday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. It's time to get your boots on with the boot campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray Thursdays at noon 1 central on toginet.com sponsored by Austin Bank the whole point of the boot campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the boot girls inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell the lone survivor the boot girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the give back combat boots the campaign's motto is simple when they come back we give back For more on the boot campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show with Megan Roth and Baby Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, my guest is uh, Marsha Washburn. We're talking about her experience in Ecuador with um, some some of the parents in the village where um, her husband was working um, who wanted to explore homeschooling and um, wanted somebody to come from America to um, help them out. And um, Marsha, how did you know what to take and how long did it take you to prepare to go? (laughs) 
Well, I was thankful that I received the invitation in March. Of, uh, I'm discussing now my first trip in 2006. We went again last fall, 2010. But my first trip down, uh, the invitation came in March, and we went down in September. So I did have several months to really think through my philosophy of education from a very new perspective. What is the most important thing that I can teach the people and uh, so forth? Since my husband had been there, he was able to advise me about what to take. Uh, we packed very heavily on um, products for the, the homeschoolers uh, in terms of basic supplies and, of course, the, all the electrical things that he and his colleague needed for the plant. So we literally had teams of people praying us through customs and through uh, security because you can imagine with those kinds of things, uh, their electrical things look like bomb-making materials or something. Um, and then very lightly on any of our personal things, we were amazed, although we shouldn't have been, at how committed the parents were to get themselves to the seminar. Um, they were carrying babies. Uh, they were in their trail boots, their jungle boots, you know. A young father of five children hiked and bussed in for two days. It wow. took his entire month's income to pay for those two bus trips because he lived so far out and then had to hike in the rest of the way because, of course, there was no road. Another mother hiked in for six hours and juggled her 18-month-old on her hip the entire time. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, another mother and daughter could only stay for one session, and then they had to go back five and a half hours back home again. So, mm-hmm. even this, uh, some school teachers arranged for substitutes so they could attend at risk of maybe losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but what I discovered was that they would sit on these hard benches all day long. They had to squeeze it into just one weekend because it was so difficult for them to get there. It's at such great distance. Mm-hmm. And um, and they would listen to my English words, not understanding a word that I said. Mm-hmm. And then they would look at my translator, who would put it into Spanish. And then they would look at their pastor, who would put it into the Shuar language. So it was very time-consuming going through three, three translations every mm-hmm. time. But it was very much a workshop, not a lecture. And when they would hear something, then they would discuss it among themselves, and and uh, they immediately seemed to get the connection between homeschooling and parenting as a whole, mm-hmm. um, because they would discuss everything from textbooks to television and and birth control to daycare centers. I mean, mm-hmm. and every, every time they got a free moment, they were copying down posters that we had on the walls and so forth. But we tried so were, really. Were any of them already homeschooling, or was this going to be? brand new for everybody in 2006 it was brand new for everyone when we went back this last fall two families had decided to homeschool and from the local community and then another young uh woman who had adopted two shuar indian girls um had been homeschooling for a couple of years and she served as a translator and that proved to be something uh of a, a gift because that there was this inferiority complex in a way they they had the idea that american children are smarter than shuar children because they take vitamins Oh. And I thought, with all the wonderful foods they have in the jungle, how could they possibly think that their diet is inferior to ours? Mm-hmm. And But they could see that this young woman's children 
that she'd only had for just two years, and they they did not know how to read or anything when she got them, were thriving, and they were reading far above grade level and everything, even among those who had had their children in the public schools. And so that gave them courage, and now there are 16 different families who are homeschooling in that area. So it just took somebody to step out and get started, and the others just kind of stood back and watched. So what kind of material do they have available to them in their language? Well, they have the, uh, in their own language, they have primers and now their full Bible. Um, the primers and math books go up through about a, uh, sixth grade. So we were able to contact by a series of, of God events a company in a ministry, actually, in Guatemala that publishes Spanish language curriculum for grades one all the way through high school, including uh, the electives like accounting and so forth. Mm -hmm. And so they have been able to make an arrangement with them on a... You pay pay what they're able to pay, which is not very much. The average family income is $25 a month for Mm -hmm. these families. And so they have been able to make arrangements to have things shipped in and then carried in on the trails, you know, or or flown in as someone who happens to be flying in at that time. But I was amazed at what the, the questions they asked were the same ones that I get at every group that I visit in the United States. Am I qualified to teach my children? What will my friends and family think? Is homeschooling legal? Where will I get my materials? And of course, that favorite of all of ours, what about socialization? (laughs) Parents are the same all around the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, is it legal? It is legal for them to homeschool in Ecuador, yes. Now, their current uh, administration uh, is leaning a little bit left. I don't know how long it will continue to be legal, but at the moment it is legal. I also was able to visit with some homeschoolers in the capital city of Quito, and uh, some were missionaries from other countries who were homeschooling. Some were Ecuadorians who were homeschooling, and they have a support group there. And so it was fun visiting with them. That is one of my concerns for the jungle communities because uh, of distance. Geographically, it's so difficult for them to get together. They don't have options for cell phones, and and uh, most of the villages don't even have electricity, so Internet is hard. So there's a lot of isolation. There's not someone to turn to for that warm homeschool friendships that that help us as as we're beginning. So that is one of the things that they asked um, listeners from all over the world who are homeschooling to pray for them mm-hmm. uh, because they don't have that advantage of, of support groups, and they it is difficult for them to get materials. Um, so is there a road now that you've gone back in 2010 into Makuma? They are building a road. They are within um, a few hours. Right now, you would have to hike out. An Indian could hike out to the road in about four or five hours, according to where the road is right now. If uh, the rest of us were hiking, it would probably take much longer than that. They move pretty fast. Uh, So the road will eventually reach Makuma, but Makuma is much closer to the road than most of the jungle communities are. It is it is relatively close in. It's only a half-hour flight from the nearest, uh, n- n- you know, developed city, shall we, shall mm-hmm. we call it. 
whereas the others can be much farther. They say for every minute that you spend flying in the air, it's an hour on the trail. Yeah. So, so you said it takes uh, about 25 minutes. So 25 minutes by air, and then you, you are in a four-seater Cessna, and you land on a grass airstrip. It is a trip. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. Um, I read um, Elizabeth Elliot's book, um, through, through Gates, Gates of Splendor, mm-hmm. and um, that was back in 1956. So um, yes. I don't know whether whether things have really changed that much um, in in the depths of the um, jungles of Ecuador. Um, were you not nervous going to Ecuador? Well, at at first, when the offer to come the first time came, I thought to myself, I can either. I immediately knew in my heart I was supposed to go. But I was not willing to go. I am the queen of comfort. 72 degrees, bubble baths every night. That's my idea, you know, (laughs) of the good life. But I also knew that eventually I would give in and say yes, and I may just as well agree to go right away so I had more time to prepare. Uh, The fact that I was traveling with my husband and he had been there before made a lot of difference. Um, and I asked him all kinds of questions, of course. Uh, what about snakes? What about bugs? What about this? What about that? You know. So it, it was certainly a stretch for me, but I have learned through that and so many other times in my life that God is trustworthy and that he never leads us and then leaves us. He is mm-hmm. always with us. And mm-hmm. so, it, yes, it, it was a little nerve-wracking <laughs> for yeah. this retired homeschool mom to go off to the jungle, but um, I would do it again if I were called. Yeah. Well, um, what else? Once the children are educated, what, what, where can they go for college or what kind of jobs? I mean, what, what are they, what, apart from being able to read the Bible, which I think is, you know, of utmost importance, what really are the goals of these families who are um, homeschooling and educating their children? Again, it makes a difference according to the family. Some of them have small businesses um, that are, are operating in the area, uh, not necessarily a store, but they might sell milk or eggs or something to the others. You know, in the past, um, they lived off the jungle literally. Now that they are moving into small towns, uh, that is not necessarily the case. And the fact that they're no longer killing each other off with revenge killings mm-hmm. like they were back in the 50s means that their population is growing. So. Some of them um, are are training to, well, for example, the last time I was there, they had an Internet cafe open. Amazing, <laughs> you know. Now, it's probably the only village in the entire eastern jungle that has one because they have the hydroelectric plant there for electricity, which is mm-hmm. on part of the time, off part of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have options in that particular village that they would not have farther out. Mm-hmm. Well, Marsha, we've come to um, the end of our time together, and um, I'm glad I decided to talk about Ecuador when we did, because we would never have um, learned as much as we have learned from you, and absolutely fascinating. Um, my guest, Marsha Washburn, can be found at her website on Marsha at MarshaWashburn.com, and if you can't remember that or don't know how to spell it, just go onto my page at Togginet, and I've got a link um, for that. Um 
Vivian, yes. there's something I'd like to offer to your, oh, yes. your listeners if we have a moment. Okay. Anyone who will write to my email address, marcia at marciawashburn.com, and I spell that M-A-R-C-I-A, like Marcia, um, I will send, and if they mention your show, I will send them a free ebook called Homemade Convenience Foods. Now, what homeschooler wouldn't like to have that? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marcia, and you have a wonderful weekend. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I'm going on another break. I'll be back just in a moment, so stay with me. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, with your hosts, Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend at Principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer, and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies is that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out Girlfriended.com. And then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back. You email Marsha and mention my name and you'll get a free ebook about homemade convenience foods. I mean, how wonderful can that be? She said she's got recipes and techniques are all included. So do that. One of the subjects homeschoolers in Texas have to teach is good citizenship. Can this encompass civility in public discourse? I asked myself. 
Well, since I'm a homeschooler, I suppose I can decide for myself. And judging by the hype this particular topic is generating today, I'd hasten to add it to my curriculum too sweet. That is, unless it's already lurking there in the shadows of manners, etiquette, thoughtfulness, respect, non-discrimination, and lots of other adjectives and descriptors that serve to make a homeschooler well-rounded and educated. David Brooks of the New York Times wrote a piece about civility on Thursday the 13th, five days after the fatal shooting of six people in Tucson during an informal congressional event in a grocery store parking lot. He focused on President Obama's wonderful speech given on January 12th, in which, according to Brooks, he didn't try to explain the rampage that had occurred, but used the occasion as a national Sabbath, a chance to step out of the torrent of events and reflect. Mr. Brooks admitted, and I agree, that a great speech alone won't usher in a period of civility. His listeners, who heard his civility message and took it to heart, could be compared to the sparse Sunday morning congregation where the minister admits to preaching to the choir. Mr. Obama was preaching to the choir. Those who heard and took his message to heart didn't need it. Those, says Brooks, who are inclined to intellectual thuggery and partisan one-sidedness will temporarily resolve to do better, but then slip back to old habits the next time their pride feels threatened. Aha! We try to teach our children that their work is often laced with failure, that their decisions may have shortcomings, ramifications could have been weighed more carefully, results may not always be what were expected and planned for, essays and discourses could have been prepared for better, and other people's points of view could have been more widely sought and considered. All of the above, though daunting as a whole, can be worked on slowly. It's not easy and needs practice. Brooks says quite admirably that the world is more complicated than any human intelligence can comprehend. You reckon... As teachers of our children, we're able to steer them into broader mindedness with gentle arguments, corrections and elements they may not have thought of. We're able to give them the tools to present their ideas mindfully and with scholarly intent. We're able to help them on their way to rhetoric and polite persuasion. We can encourage them to use words impressively to be heard, not hurl insults with raised voices to gain attention. If the class is going well, Things will gradually move forward. Each individual step may be imbalanced, imperfect, but with community effort, and by community I mean family at this early stage, the social organism may thrive and be better. Imagine no more bickering and arguing. When our children reach a level of maturity where they can take what they have learned about not being an island, when they can employ a team spirit and work with others, as ours learned to in the theatre setting, when they understand that society is made up of individuals and they are those individuals, hopefully they will get to live better lives because their individual shortcomings are transmuted into communal improvement. Hurrah for the wisdom of crowds. Hurrah that although we are one, we can make a difference when we think with many. But this is not where it ends. How can we blend our thoughts and our actions with others if we don't listen to and respect what people who have differing opinions from us have to say? How can we learn if we only talk to those who think the same way we do? How can we even say we're global if we're so narrow-minded as to shirk the responsibility of civility? That common invitation to listen, to have a dialogue, to converse, not to monologue, is so important. And it's being missed today. 
We're so into being great on our own, to bragging about our own accomplishments. We don't give a thought to the contributing factors. We just think it's all about me. During my lifespan, we've gone from a culture that reminds people of their own limitations to a culture that encourages people to think highly of themselves. George Washington, way before my time, by the way, was admired because of the way he kept himself in check. My mother, within my lifetime, cautioned me never to blow my own trumpet. As I grew older, I learned that if I didn't blow my own trumpet, that is, nobody else would. Huh. George Best, an English football player I was in love with at school, didn't ostentatiously admire his own goals, although he and his teammates did run around the field like a load of excited puppies whenever they scored, much to their fans' delight. But now athletes routinely celebrate themselves as part of the self-branding process. Perhaps it all started with Cassius Clay in 1963 when he told everyone how great he was after beating Sonny Liston in the boxing ring. That was during my time, just. Brooks goes on to say, civility comes from a sense of personal modesty. Civility is the natural state for people who know how limited their own individual powers are and know, too, that without the conversation, they're useless. Heavy yet important stuff, Mr. Brooks of the New York Times. Fancy admitting that we need other people's insights and opinions in order to reach the full potential of our own ideas. Wow. Innovative thought there. What? As a homeschooler, I loved my children. I thought they were it. I didn't always think the same of other people's children, not my blood, you see. But I did instill in my children a need for balance and correction. I'm a Benedictine spiritualist, for goodness sake. My whole life's about balance. My children could spot an untrue compliment a mile off. They knew when their performance was below par, and they didn't appreciate being told how great they were when they knew differently. Still on the modesty theme, Brooks goes on to say, the lack of civility has been caused by the roots of modesty being carved away. I find that an odd but promising statement from an American writer. For when I first came to America, I questioned whether this population of English-speaking people even had the word modesty in their vocabulary. Hopefully, the President's speech last Wednesday will get politicians and the general public thinking before they speak. Unfortunately, it takes a tragic loss of human lives to open eyes and curb unruly tongues. The Bible calls the tongue a weapon and says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Proverbs 21:23. Practice civility. Listen with the ear of the heart. Extend respect to all you meet in your daily life and work. My friend Dan Dunnewald, a psychologist in Dallas, encourages us not to engage in or tolerate the spread of toxic talk in society. She cautions us to speak up against it and teach our children to do the same. She challenges us to step away from the growing immunity to violence fueled by video games, movies, and TV. As individuals, we need to be part of this change. It begins by personally stepping away from hatred and violence, responsibility all of us should embrace. And as I'm sitting here in my little studio, my home studio, I'm looking outside, and it looks so cold. And I'm thinking of San Francisco. It was beautiful. In the dark, when we landed, we snagged a battered old minibus that shuttled us to our hotel, dropping several people off en route. The trip was a mess of ups and downs, bumps and lurches. No wonder the minibus was groaning and creaking. Every now and again, we'd glimpse the Golden Gate Bridge down a side street leading to the bay, lit up against the dark sky. The driver was crazy, seemingly enjoying the racketing of his car as he hit bumps and humps on the steep apexes of the hills. My hotel was lovely, though. Good job, cowboy. But the reception desk clerk was supercilious, to say the least. 
Everything's paid for, man. You'll need a credit card for the bar in the room, phone calls and room service. And he looked at me with that, hello, can you hear me look? And I said, you want to see my credit card, the one I use to pay for the room? Any card will do, ma'am. I need to run it. Oh, I thought you didn't say that. He pointed disparagingly in the general direction at the back of the hotel as if he was reminding us for the umpteenth time where the elevator was and handed us our key. May we have two keys, asked my gorgeous youngest. You want two keys? He swiped another plastic card with a huff and folded a key in the mini, to the minibar into the envelope and handed it to us. He didn't even tell us the room number. Poop to you, I thought. I'm tired. Everything was fine in the room except the clock. That it was an hour slow and we couldn't figure out how to adjust it. Coupled with being two hours behind Dallas time, the hour slow was a big deal all weekend. I was so confused, thank goodness, for atomic cells. So San Francisco was a bit of a culture shock, not only to us, but to itself. On Sunday, we went to this small breakfast place. And Malia said it couldn't decide whether it was American, Chinese or Mexican. There were people eating eggs benedict, noodles, egg rolls and breakfast burritos with hot sauce. And they were served by Chinese and Mexican waiters. However, the sea lions on Pier 39 knew exactly who they were and kept us entertained in the early morning while we were deciding what to do for the day. Those creatures are amazing. They look as though they've been caught in the transition from fish to mammal. I can see how the myth of the mermaid was started. Oh, and packing for two days is impossible. I never want to wear my skinny jeans again. Those are the only pairs of trousers I took, except for PJs. And I grew very tired of wearing something that didn't exactly let me relax when it was mealtime. Have you ever done that? Packed so lightly, you have no choices. And every photo is of you in the same gear. Malia and I are great travelling companions. We crammed it all in. By 8.20am on Saturday morning, we were at Pier 33 with tickets to a sold-out tour of Alcatraz. The day was a rare, clear and sunny. It had been raining for several days, so we felt blessed. The tour of the prison was interesting. Looking at empty cells and hearing about the siege and escape was pretty nerve-wracking stuff. I don't think I could do prison ministry in a high-security jail. I wouldn't like to come face-to-face with some of those characters. Back on the mainland, we ate the required and delicious clam chowder and a scooped-out sourdough bread loaf. We walked up the crooked seat of the street of Lombard. We went to Chinatown. We walked through Little Italy, and we went to church. And um, we crossed Union Park, where there were young men playing games without their shirts on, rather like the SMU lawns we espied during one of our college visits. And our dinner, our Italian meal was yummy. And the next day, Sunday, was audition day. And Malia auditioned for five whole hours while I read. And um, we managed to spend another few hours at the other end of the day walking around the piers and eating before heading back to the airport. And we got a midnight flight. It was actually 20 past 12 when we flew home. So we were exhausted on Monday. Thank goodness it was a holiday. And I've used up another whole hour. So I'll bid you farewell for this week. And thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Togginet Radio, my guest, Marsha Washburn, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Tina, and St. John's, who are coming into town this weekend. See you on Sunday. Ali Lepre, host of This Little Parent Stayed Home, is coming up next on Togginet Radio, so don't go away and have a great weekend. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Numbers 6, 24 through 26. Doop, doop, doop.
And I've finished and I have time to spare and it is so cold out here. I'll be glad to get inside and have me a nice cup of tea and you have a great weekend. Bye. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet.